What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy and subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, Mike C-Rock. So thankful to have you. Always start the show with gratitude because it means the world to me. And it also gets rid of all the complaining opportunities. And that's one thing. We all have plenty of opportunities nowadays to complain about something. Why not get rid of them and be focused on what we have and show gratitude for that and just share with our universe or your creator or whatever you believe in. I believe in God that we want more of the things that we're thankful for. So thanks for being here. Thanks for your support of the What Are You Made Of show. Thank you for your support and the rocket fuel and the book Rocket Fuel. Go get a copy at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. I'm so excited to get that into your hands. It will change your life. All about converting setbacks and becoming unstoppable. Forward written by Grant Cardone, which is something that I was very honored to have him do. And I'm excited to share that forward with you as well to give you chills when you read it. So, all right, guys, today's guest on the What Are You Made Of show is my friend, Jen Taylor, also known as the Naked Podcaster, also known as Mom of 18. Jen Taylor is Mom of 18 and the Naked Podcaster and is a mindset coach and motivational speaker. She is an NLP practitioner and has 15 plus years in the foster care sector as both a parent and a trainer. She also has written a blog, Mom's Running It, for nine years and is a published author of a self-help memoir, Hello, My Name Is Warrior Princess. Oh man, I love that. She teaches compounding joy, bringing fast, easy, actionable exercises to people to increase their joy and gratitude, which we of course love gratitude. She is also married to an amazing man in Reno, Nevada, is a runner, minimalist, and healthy lifestyle enthusiast. Find her at momof18.com. And by the way, what is your husband's name? Because I don't see his name on here, Jen. His name is Dane. Shout out to Dane. Shout out to Dane. His name wasn't in here. And I want to make sure that Dane is recognized because anybody that is married to the naked podcaster and <laughs> mom of 18, we got to give kudos to. So Jen, welcome to the What Are You Made Up show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, he needs a shout out for sure. Well, look, you know, I mentioned in the green room that we always start this show by talking about what are you made of. But before I do that, I just want to make sure that you understand that our one dominating rule in this show is to become unstoppable. And we do that by anything that comes in our way from our ideal life or our goals. We don't just remove, we convert into rocket fuel and we store it in our tank and not in our trunk. And that's important for me to get that across to everybody that comes on the show. I know you already have a concept similar to that. I'm sure that you operate off of, but I named it rocket fuel. So Jen, let's start the show by asking you, what are you made of? Gratitude, a lot of gratitude. And I know that that's one of your words, but it's definitely one of mine. When I looked back over my life and like you said, the struggles, by the way, I love the tank and the trunk. That was great. (laughs) I love that. When you look back over your life, you realize, or I realized that I learned things every time I went through a struggle, like the silver lining. So the same thing, although I didn't, yes, it's very similar to how you look at it, different language for sure. But I realized through time that I was building this portfolio of gratitude 
And that's a huge part of what I'm made of. Yeah, I love it. You know, haven't always done that. You know, first thing in the morning, waking up and being thankful that you woke up. I mean, that's mm. powerful. And even if you're a young, younger person listening to this, you know, I'm 40, early 40s. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't think about that. And I would go hard and party and from 18 to 25 and just doing stupid stuff. And, you know, I wish I kind of would have started this earlier, but I'm glad I did, you know, figured this out in my middle age, age range, because it's been so important to me. And the feeling that I get from it is powerful. So can you get us into some stories? Let's dig a little deeper into your past of some things where you would say would be a pretty big setback for someone or discouragement, a time that you can remember that maybe that you don't look back and regret, you don't look back and get stuck in, but you look back at a training session or for fuel. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. Well, I wrote a book and the book is about my life growing up and I grew up very similarly to foster kids. So if you said, you know, what has the foster kid gone through? People will make a list, you know, a list of things that makes it so that they were removed from their home, sexual abuse, physical abuse. Some of them are hungry. There's this list of things and I should have been put in foster care. So I grew up and I wrote about it because it really, it was a huge amount of rocket fuel for my life. And in the sexual abuse and the physical abuse and the keeping a bag packed under my bed and stabbing a guy in the leg, you know, in self-defense when I was on the street and all the different things that you go through growing up or that I went through growing up, I had a third grade teacher and that third grade teacher saw me. She really saw me. I went back and met her 20 years ago because I talked about her my whole life. And the only person I didn't tell was her. And she's really the only person that needed to know. But she saw me in a way that no one had seen me. To her, I was worth it. To her, I was valued and beautiful and smart. And that, of all the dysfunction that I had gone through, our home actually got worse after third grade, but I knew to her I was worth it. And when someone in passing, you know, as your third grade teacher, can make such a significant impact, it taught me that no matter what people go through, you can make a significant impact in passing often without ever even knowing that you have. And her example to me, it's not like when you're six and you get, or I was nine when sexual abuse really started. It's not like a nine-year-old being sexually abused. I thought, oh, I'm learning a lot of good skills here. I'm going to put that one in my back pocket. You don't, you survive it, but you are building a skill set and that skill set helps you. In the moment, it helps you in that fight or flight or just to detach from the situation or whatever you need to do as a survivor, right? Yeah. But well, later on, you can turn it around into something else. Well, so you survive it, right? But then how do you get back to being comfortable in intimate situations again? And that's a great not question. dealing with the traumatically and the pain and you know what I mean? Because that's important, obviously, for your you know healthy relationship with your husband, for yourself, obviously, for pleasure for yourself or for everything else that comes along with being intimate. No one's ever asked me this question, except for my husband. When you go through sexual abuse, I was molested by a stepfather and then I lost my virginity to date rape. So my first experience with sex was not a good one, but neither really was my second experience or my next several because... Once I felt like it was taken from me, my virginity, my first experiences were taken from me by someone who was bigger and stronger and who could. And once that happened, I realized like, well, what am I waiting for? Why am I keeping it from people? You know, I'm never going to have a first time experience again. This was taken. So I had a very unhealthy mindset. I realized quickly that as a woman, I was right before my senior year of high school when the rape happened. So I was a woman who understood very quickly that I had a lot of power and control sexually and that I could use that 
with everything. You can use it for good or evil. I did hit a point my first year in college where I realized that I was creating my own dysfunction within myself with my sexuality. And it didn't mean anything. And I was probably on a downward spiral, not of depression or anything like that, but just of using sex as a manipulation and allowing it to continue to hurt me. It's different when someone is doing it to you and you don't have the choice. It was a much bigger deal for me that I was doing it to myself. And the biggest struggle that I went through, first, I went to therapy, traditional talk therapy, and to some degree, that was helpful. I've had times in my life where that has been and times when it has not been. But that is not a bad modality to try. But I actually, I had a cousin who was the same age as my mom, like a second cousin or something, grew up off and on, and she did massage. And she gave me my first massage ever. So it was a very safe place with a woman that I trusted and I knew well. And I know now, retrospectively, that she was doing what's considered Reiki or energy work on me. But I remember in that massage and her kind of talking to me just about sexuality and stuff. It was me that was creating the problem right now and that I needed to change it. There are a couple things in there. I was a woman who really loved sex. How could I be a woman who really loves sex if it started out so dysfunctionally? That was one thing I really needed to work through. Because does that mean I like what they did to me? Well, no, it's like comparing apples and oranges. You know, I mean, it does not mean that I like what they did to me. But also, I turned 50 this year. So I'm 50. So I was born in 1970. And back then, you know, you were a stud and I was a slut. So it was also very difficult just for all women in general back then. For my daughters, it's considerably different. But at the time, it was like, well, if I loved it and I said I loved it and I had sex because it was what I wanted. The stigma was very different for me. And I realized pretty quickly that in a lot of situations, I don't really care what people think of me. So why do I in this one? It was actually me having to process the fact that, yeah, it started out really horribly. My sexual experience started out really horribly. Despite that fact, I was able to find modalities that worked for me to not only feel okay with what happened to me as far as forgiving myself or letting it go or putting in its place, but also to enjoy the here and the now in a way that didn't have to be dysfunctional. And so I really switched my sexual behavior at that point to a much, much more healthier mindset. But that was all within me. Yeah, it, it's, it's really hard to go from having something happen to you to you becoming your own dysfunction. You know, it obviously hurt you, but like the relationships of the guys that maybe weren't just out for that, that it hurt too, or you know what I mean? That's like, it's a trickle down effect. It affects a lot of people when somebody abuses someone. You know, it can be. and I wasn't abusive. I was setting the stage when I dated someone and they were interested that, you know, something like, I want to wait to have sex. I know it's something that you may really be interested in. It's real easy to get hot and bothered and get going. And that will be the end result. And if that happens, I'm going to lose some amount of respect for you because you understand where I'm coming from. So I would set the stage and remember here, I was 17 when I graduated high school and I was 17 when I went into college. I'm not excusing it, but I was very, very young and and sex was a very new thing. So basically I was setting it up like, yeah, I do want to have sex and I know you want to have sex, but I would kind of like to wait. And if we get hot and bothered, I'm probably not going to say no because I enjoy sex, but I'm going to lose respect for you for not respecting that boundary. And then it will be your fault. And then I won't speak to you again. And so I was more 
preparing the stage for failure, so to speak. Yeah. And guys that. at that age would be like, whoa, exactly. think of like being in that situation and being like, whoa, 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 that's too deep for me, man. I'm just looking to date right now. Or, um, What's going to happen? They're going to have sex. Well, of course. And the most of the guys aren't as mature as the girls at that age. Right. right? And they're just, right. I talk about this a lot with, you know, the younger people and especially I talk to the gentlemen, but you know, at that age, it's so important to get yourself straight with your finances, your head, you're like making sure that your foundation is built before you go chasing girls. Because again, when you start chasing girls, by the way, when I was 18, first time I ever drank, started smoking pot, went to college, lost track of everything that I was originally going for and started chasing girls and all that jazz. And when I did that, you run into girls that may have been abused. You run into girls that may have trauma in their life. Here's your chasing. I can't explain it. To me, I just want to make sure that young people understand that at that age, get yourself right, get your foundation right. Try to ignore your hormones if you can, because once you get yourself straight, then that is the prime time to be really trying to find a partner. And you'll have your selection because again, I'm not trying to say a selection for one night stands, but selection for a partner. And I'm just speaking for me personally, man, I lost my way. I think when I was 18 in that environment, I mean, I had some great times, but in that environment, it was all about the focus of where's the party, where are the girls? And, you know, I think that I could have got a better start on my life and professional life and all that if I would have focused better on what I need, better priorities. Oh, you know? probably all of us would have something to say about that. Here's the bottom line with the dysfunction. If you imagine being in your bedroom, you know, with your wife, you're in your bedroom, set a chair outside the door and that's where that person belongs. So the people that were abusive to me in my past don't belong in my bedroom. If I am being affected by those memories while I'm intimate with the person that I love, I'm opening the door and asking them to come in and hang out and jump in bed with us. Love that. Yep. yep. So for me, it really was. And I'm not trying to minimize someone's discomfort. I've been through being molested. I've been through being raped. Trust me out there. Like I get the emotions that go with it. But the bottom line for me was that it was up to me to not allow that person into my room, period. Yeah. Set a chair out there and that's where they belong. Those memories and those emotions and that stuff is going to come up or it's going to surface or you're going to have to process through it. There's a time and a place for that. And it's not in the bed that I share with my husband. So I actually did not have a really hard time once I got myself healthy and I stopped. wait, this is not okay. I'm perpetuating my own dysfunction at that point back in college. When I did what I needed to do to get things right, I realized that you know, that's always going to be a part of me. It doesn't define me and there's a time and a place for it. And it's just not in my bedroom. So literally it's like putting a chair outside your bedroom door and shutting the door and not allowing that inside. So yeah. how do I have a really positive, healthy, wonderful sex life? I don't open my door. Makes sense. I love how you frame that. That's perfect. I always wondered this too, because I wasn't ever sexually assaulted. I was emotionally abused and psychologically abused as a kid, which has a different kind of effect when it comes to intimacy and relationships. But how do you know that when, and again, you know, any of this stuff you don't want to talk about, it's fine. But how do you know when you have something that like a fetish or something that, and you may be enjoying it, but that you don't know that it's coming from being mm. abused. You follow me? And and some people, you know, it could be different things. It could be, you know, homosexuality could come from, I don't even know. I don't know. I'm not a scientist, right? but how do you know that some of the stuff you're still attracted to doing isn't coming from that trauma and it may not be healthy? I'm sure that that's something that lots of people have to deal with. I haven't ever had issues with fetishes or anything that I think is abnormal. This is what I did. I decided what was uncomfortable for me. And I'll use an example. I've never had a threesome. I don't want one. 
And I can go into all the reasons that I don't want one and they're very legitimate reasons, but that's just an example of something that I created a boundary. I'm not interested in that. So you could insert whatever here. So I created boundaries and I had to know why. And then on the flip side, I'm going to contradict that and say, I'm open to trying things. I'm really big into the number three. I don't know why everything is in thirds for me. But even a position at first I had, there were positions that were uncomfortable for me because of my past. So I am willing to try that position or that whatever three times on my terms when I'm in the mood and comfortable to do so. And the three times thing is that I've tried something, you know, a drink of a beer and been like, wow, that's nasty. Right. right. But then I tried it in a different situation. So I was like, wait a minute, is that like that? I actually like that. It's not because I subjected it to myself to it several times. It's because I think you have to be in the space and the place and the attitude and the situation and whatever. And so by doing something, trying a position three different times, separated out, I'm making sure that I don't like it. But One, I created boundaries and said, this is not for me. And two, I said, oh, let's try whatever we feel like it. And if I don't, that's good, man. That's good. If I don't like it the first time. And also I would never do those things with someone, with a partner I'm not super comfortable with. So this is way back when. And over time, I was always confident. I was never self-conscious or uncomfortable with my body or being naked or those things, which that wasn't one of my struggles. But if I was ever uncomfortable, there's like, you know, everybody says you have a safe word (laughs) like that. I knew if I was uncomfortable and said, okay, no, we're done. We're not trying this, doing this anymore, that I was in a space that that could happen. So it's great to be able to experiment with positions or toys or whatever you want to try. There's nothing wrong with any of it. As long as you one set boundaries and two have an open mind. So I know those things seem like a contradiction, but to me they weren't. And I never had something odd, like, you know, tie me up and use a little whip or there's nothing that I fixated on. And maybe that's because I got enough help soon enough. And I really dove into my own healing journey at a fairly young age. I mean, I was 17 to 18 when I was really on that journey hardcore. Yeah. I mean, I love how you frame that though. I'm thinking, like you said, try it three times and I, that's so good, man. You got to be in the mood mm-hmm. environment. I mean, and see, cause so true. I mean, I'm thinking about that with food and desserts and exactly. <laughs> like you said, drinks. Exactly. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I do that with food with our 10 year old who doesn't like certain foods. Well, you need to have a tasting bite, right? You need to try it yep, yep. and you may not like it right now, but in a couple more years, it may be one of our favorite things. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of life is like that, where you can do it gently and respectfully and with some boundaries, but try things because you don't know what you don't know. And if it's a trigger, you can stop. And no, it doesn't have to be related to what I went through at all. Right. And then that's huge for kids, mom of 18 with the foster kids and everything. It's such a great lesson to teach them to try things three times. Like we deal with our kids. If a vegetable is green, my son still to this day has a problem with it because he didn't like it when he was little. And he's so stubborn and hardheaded. I try not to get on him about that because I wear the stubborn badge of with honor because if it's not the wrong thing to be stubborn when it's on the right thing. But uh, so talk to us about the podcast and how you got into that. And was it always the naked podcast or did you start with clothes on or how did that work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, great questions. Okay. So I wrote the book. I wrote my book. Hello, my name is Warrior Princess. And it was my story growing up of dysfunction. And at the end of every chapter, I kind of did a hindsight So what I was learning, how I was building my toolbox and my skill sets at the time that thing was happening without realizing I was building that. So kind of like, here's this massive struggle that I went through. 
And then there's the who, what, when, where, how I got through it and how those became skills or tools that I could use later in life. So I wrote the book. I was proud. I'm excited. I wrote a book. It was like having a baby and I'm a woman who's had babies. So I get to say that. And I wanted to help everybody who wanted to write a book, write a book, right? Because it's such a cool thing. And I didn't have an outlet to do that. So my husband's best friend, Jim Cooley, shout out to him, had a super successful podcast. And I was just having this conversation we were visiting with him and he handed me my first microphone and he said, go start a podcast. It was sort of like, you know, taking some of my speaking profession and some of my coaching profession, because you know what it's like to interview and kind of putting it together. So that was the way that I got to show other people's stories. And I did it in the same format as my book. So you talk about your struggle because I want people to feel less alone in their own struggles. And then you talk about the who, what, when, where, how you got through it, which is kind of like my hindsight at the end of my chapters so that people can build their tools and their skills. And, you know, you may say meditation, And I've heard it a million times and it's never resonated, but you say it in a way that I'm like, oh, wait, I like that. I think I want to try that. So it can be the same things over and over that maybe we've even tried that haven't worked, but this time it's different. So I really, really wanted to create positivity, this feeling of community and tribe and not feeling alone. So I launched the podcast May of 2017, nine months after my book was out. It was called Jen Taylor Rerouting, hashtag rerouting at first, because life's always putting you in different directions. And, you know, you think point A to point B is going to be a straight line and it curves up a mountain in the winter, you know, uphill (laughs) both ways. Right. So it was rerouting. I had a coach a few years ago who said, what's your ideal job? And I said, I don't want to have to wear pants. Now in 2020, that makes perfect sense. But (laughs) at the time, like (laughs) back in 2015 or 16, it made less sense back then. So I was doing a podcast episode and, you know, we all know now, now that everyone's on Zoom, pants are optional, right? Mm-hmm. So Dane walked into the room, like past my screen. I could see him, but he wasn't on camera. And he looked at me and I was not wearing pants. Legitimately, I did not have pants on. <laughs> so he just looked at me and did a double take. And I finished the interview and he's like, so you're not even wearing pants. And I'm like, I could be naked. I could like, usually you only see me from like the armpits up. I could be naked and no one would even know. And he's like, so you're the naked podcaster. And I went, that's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) It was great. It was wonderful that it happened with him. And he actually spent the next couple of months like, you really should do this. Because if I said, wow, like great marketing and branding potential there. But for me, it really has to be genuine to what I'm doing. So I asked my guests to bear it all emotionally. And that was in my language initially. And I'm bearing it all physically. So there, I'm asking them to do something uncomfortable and I'm willing to do something uncomfortable with them to hold space for them. So I switched the name a couple months in and then started using video. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Yeah, and I felt comfortable with it. It's a a great format. And I, you know, I've been sharing my story for so much. I don't have a problem with that, but I could definitely see how it could make people feel more comfortable and open. And, you know, writing the book, as you mentioned, you know, I'm doing the same thing for mine. It's coming out February 7th. It's therapeutic, you know? I mean, Uh you know, I want people to read it, obviously. And there's the concept in it is, is, can change lives. But, but, uh, just the fact that I, first of all, I wasn't a really great, English student. I mean, I got A's and B's in there, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't like it. I hated writing. 
And for me to be able to write a book is like, wow, man. Yeah, boy. Right? It's like giving birth. (laughs) You're not allowed to say that. (laughs) Don't ever say that to another woman. I'm saying, I'm going to say Jen said it was like that. So it it is. There's something about that. I don't know if you're at this point yet, but you have a box of the books the book sent to you. You know, I had my first box of books and I remember opening it. There's a picture of me carrying the box. And I took that first book out and just bawled because it is blood, sweat, and tears to write a book where you put so much of yourself into it. You invest so much. And for me, writing about the tough stuff, people will ask me, you know, was it really hard to write about those tough things? No, actually, I had done so much healing. I had a great editor who was like, when you talk about it now, it's so in your past that you're not really emotionally tapped into it. You need to actually view that time of your life when you were six or nine, like through your eyes, the eyes of the six-year-old or the nine-year-old and write about it from that perspective. Because I have, I mean, I'm not callous about anything I've gone through, but I'm very healed from a lot of what I've gone through. So the only thing that was difficult about writing was making sure I was really completely authentically tapped into nine-year-old Jen. Yeah, I love that. not adult Jen. Yeah, but holy cow, totally different perspective. It was life-changing writing that book. You know, and I I also went through it and it's like emotional roller coaster in the fact of you want to get it done, but then sometimes you just blank out. I don't know if everybody goes through the same thing I did, but it was a it's a journey because some days I, I I just couldn't think of what to write. It, it just blocked out on me. And then I would write pages and then I'd be like, oh, that sucks, you know, and not sure if I mm. should delete it because maybe somebody might like it, you know, that kind of just that, that mind game that would go on, you know, and I'm sitting there by myself a lot of times and I'd have to call my publisher. I call my wife would look at things and I'd be like, Hey, I need some help. And then they would, they would speak some things into me and that would help. But sometimes when you're by yourself with it, it's just, it's a, it's an emotional mind screw, um, yeah. you know? So, but, uh, oh, so what about the coaching? Like, what do you, what do you do coaching wise, as far as it, life coaching, is it business or what, what kind of coaching oh, do you do? So many people say life, it is mindset. And I know that that's like a word people throw around. I don't think it matters what adjective, what, you know, insert type of coach here sort of thing. I am an NLP practitioner, which means I can do, I'm licensed in hypnotherapy. I can do breakthrough sessions. I can work one-on-one. I love it. And then I do a 12 month and a four month coaching. I have a one hour power session. Basically my goal, I use the theory of compound interest. So this is, this is where the sea rock stuff comes in the rocket fuel, right? This is mine. Mine is compounding joy. I took the theory of compound interest, small, daily, easy actions. And the add up over time. So compound interest, we know how it works against us if you have a car loan or a home loan. And we know how it works for us if you have an investment fund. It's doing those small things, making those small deposits on a regular basis that don't kill you that day, but add up over time. Yep. And I do that with gratitude and joy. When I went through all the foster care and training for foster parents, and I was doing a lot of a lot of speaking back then. I was asked to come back and what I was asked to speak on several times was stress reduction and conflict resolution. And I've dealt with stuff like suicide awareness and I've had all that training, but I did do the speaking engagements and it felt very emergency room to me. It felt very like, oh my gosh, I have this conflict. I'm super stressed. I need to do something now, 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 now to stem the bleeding. And I don't come from that space. So I spoke on it a few times and then I had to take a step back. Because it so did not resonate with who I am. It's not lasting. It's it's, it's a quick not fix lasting. And that doesn't last, right? It's not lasting. No. Um. 
I really, I had written the book by this time. I had the podcast. I, and I realized that I was right around that time. It was right around the time I wrote the book. I come at things from a very, very different perspective. I view the world through a different lens. And that lens is that in every single struggle and trauma, there is some sort of silver lining. There are opportunities and benefits and things that we've learned and like positive learnings. And so I looked at what I had done innately from a kid, because I went through that book writing process like you have, and through the foster care training and with my kids. And I realized that I just sort of innately have done certain things to make sure that my lens of viewing the world is through a lens of gratitude. So it's small, daily, easy actions that will compound your gratitude and joy over time. That means it's not a quick fix, but it also means you're not taking a lot of time out of your day. And over a short, relatively short period of time, three weeks or so, you're going to start notice enormous differences. So it doesn't reduce your stress or conflict directly, but it does change how you view your stress and conflict. And in that way, it reduces it. And because I'm not, we shouldn't live our lives in the ER. I'm a very preventative medicine type of personality. And I view my coaching very preventative medicine. So I do workshops. There are two timeline workshops that I do that you know, where you go back through and you start to figure out what's your skill set resume that you built while you were growing up in, in times of trauma. What are those? We, we build resumes all the time where I did this job or I did these things and I'm adept at Microsoft Word and Excel. And But we don't often look at ourselves at what skills that we've created. Yeah, love um, that. it, can, it can change your career. It can change a lot of things, but mostly my goal is to change the lens. So my coaching is all about what works and the science behind it and then putting in the time. And I guarantee that if you put in 10 minutes with me every single day, after about three weeks, it will give you more time back. So what I heard there was proactivity, mm-hmm. no patience with action, but patience with results, urgent with right. actions right? and commitment with consistency. That's, that's what I heard right there. I love yeah. that, man. And you know, I, I always talk about some people are so impatient. Be impatient with your actions, man. Like go hard at those things when you need to do them. But the results, man, because the results come, like you said, they come in little tiny increments and then you can't see them until boom. It works with diets. You know, I, I noticed like yeah. when I do start to try to eat right my diet and I like I take a before picture and then every day I'm always obviously, you know, like this. I, I get on the scale. I look in the mirror, check it out. Hey, is the gun's coming through yet. <laughs> And then like six weeks later down the road, take the selfie again and compare. And it's like such a huge difference that you don't see in the mirror. So, you know, if if you can get that concept through your head, not you, but everybody, um, it makes a huge difference because you you will see big results, man. I I tell you, like I'm working on this with my diet now. I'm bulking. I'm eating a lot on purpose and uh, healthy foods. And then I'm going to go through that that thing. But I'm now like really conscious of the fact that it's going to take this long to see the results. Just do it every day. Make it a lifestyle. Just commit to it. And, uh, you know, I got to practice it myself as well before just preaching it to everyone. Right. I use a fitness example, actually. If if we decided in this show we're going to do 25 squats right now, let's let's do it. Let's do 25 squats. I, nothing. My butt's not going to look any different after right, I'm done with 25 right, squats. Right. What if I did 25 squats every single day for six months? Right. Then you'll That's get a big a, old Brazilian booty. That's a booty pop action. Well, but it's that same theory. Like mm-hmm. doing 25 squats right now is not going to do anything for my health and well-being. But yep. doing it every single day over time is going to make a tremendous difference. And 
yeah, fitness and eating, there's, you could use so many examples, but I use the squat example when I talk to people I love that, because yeah. that's relatable, right? Yeah. You can't do 10 bicep curls and have bigger biceps today, but you could do 10 for six months every day. And the problem is that it's a very instant gratification society and they want it to fix now and they're overwhelmed now. And if we can't fix it with some modality, then we can drink away our stuff. If that's working for you, then great. I would say, how is that working for you? How is that working for you? Because I can guarantee it's probably not working for you. It is in the moment, but not over time. So do you ever feel in your job and in what you do, uh, you want to call it a job or whatever that, and I get like this, sometimes you feel like you're preaching to people and then you're like, wait a minute, my, I feel like I'm preaching too much. Like this is me. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm getting that from you right now, by the way, I'm talking about <laughs> me because you do the similar thing that I do. Like I deal with this myself. Sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, am I, am I preaching too much? Am I like talking to people or at people too much? And how do you deal with that? If you do feel that, or how do you avoid feeling like that from being a coach? When I work with somebody, I feel honored that they chose me of anyone that they could have potentially chose to meet them where they're at and hold space for them through a process. I feel absolutely honored. And so I think as part of that, also remember, like my oldest biological daughter will be 29 on in April of 2021. So I'm almost 29 years into parenting. And what I learned is when anyone, but especially your kids, as they're getting to be adults, come to you with an issue, I say, can I make a suggestion? Damn, I like that. I've heard that yes. before too. Why don't I do that? I got to use that one. Uh, because otherwise I'm just, yeah. I am. Can I make a suggestion? So for example, my daughter dropped her phone in the toilet out of her pocket last week, right? She calls me up, uh, not on her phone, obviously. She called me up and she was very upset. Mom, I dropped my phone in the toilet. Okay. We have a couple options. The first option is I have insurance for $149. If you pay that, you get a brand new iPhone 8 plus. I, well, I don't have $149 in my account. Okay. So the next option is you can go to a fix it place. And for about 75 or $80, they can suck the water out, see what's going on and fix it that way. Uh, The screen's broken and I'm not sure it's worth saving. Okay. So that was another option. But when she called me and she was upset about her phone, I said, would you like me to offer you some, some suggestions? Because it could have been that she just wanted to call me up crying that she that her phone wasn't working. This is a perfect thing for me to use with my wife because sometimes I try to fix everything that she that brings to me. And then I, lately I've been saying, is this a listening moment or fix it moment? So I want to I want to yes. say, may I, may I offer you a suggestion? <laughs> I love that. May I offer you a suggestion? <laughs> so I'm really, really good at saying, may I offer you a suggestion? Or can I ask a clarifying question? Oh man, I, you know what? You're doing a great job coaching me. <laughs> that, like I'm a coach, right? So, yeah. so I saw so a lot of times you may use a word that I, that doesn't mean the same thing to me. Like, well, my process to do that. Okay. So what does the word process mean to you? Can I ask a clarifying question? What is the word process? Can you talk to me? What process means to you? I don't know what your process is if I don't understand what the word even means to you. So often we need to stop and clarify the word we use is not the word that you're using. Mm-hmm, right. So my word for fear was having a backpack underneath my bed growing up. So when I started my business and people were like, what fear is holding you back? I'm like, dude, like the word fear is not in my vernacular for this situation. I don't have a backpack ready to escape someone who might or might not kill us. You know, yeah, like that, yeah. that's what fear meant for me. So the first thing that you do when you're talking to people is say, can I ask a clarifying question? Because you want to make sure that you're hearing what they're saying, that your words are matching their words. That's and taking the next- 100%. That's taking 100% responsibility on the lines of communication. 
say, you know, somebody says something and you don't understand it. It's not on them to, to make sure you understand it. It's on you. And then vice versa, hundred percent responsibility on them to make sure that you got it. So two way street, but I love that. Yeah. But as a coach, it's my responsibility to make sure I'm clarifying. Yeah. That's my job. Mm -hmm. It is as a parent also. And then would you like to talk about it to just unload it? Because I talk to process. I, I am an external, I need to just, just let me say all the things. So I will tell Dane, Hey, I just, can I just like verbally vomit a bunch of stuff? That's probably not going to make sense just so I can get it outside of me. And he'll, he'll be like, go. And I do it. And then <laughs> I'm like, it. okay, so you have to know how the other person talks. So maybe the person just wants to talk. Maybe my daughter just wanted to complain about her phone falling in the toilet. Maybe it made her right. feel stupid because she forgot it and it fell out of her pants and it was a toilet and she had to say that word. And, you know, and I said, so is this something that you want to talk to me about? Or would you like me to make a suggestion? And she's like, well, I do want to talk about it because I'm pissed, but I'll offer, I, I want a suggestion. So I started giving her suggestions. So the second suggestion was, bring it to the fix it place and see if they can yeah. do something. And she's like, I don't think that's a good option. I don't think this phone in particular is worth saving because the screen's cracked. And I said, okay, well, you're, I have a third suggestion. And that is that I have an iPhone eight sitting in a drawer that is not as nice as the phone that you had, but it's a hundred percent free replacement so that you're up and running until you can maybe save that $150 to replace the one that you have. Yeah. Is that an option that you're interested in? And she said, no, I'm not interested right now. I don't, that is not what I want. And I said, well, what do you want? Well, I want my phone to just start working. And I said, all right, that's another plan. And bag the next of day rice. she called, put it in a bag of rice. She did. She put it in a bag of rice. And the next day she called me and she said, mom, can I come pick up that phone? And will you help me set it up? Speaking of toilets that uh, I love that I dropped my phone in the toilet before and I was grossed out and I'm like, oh, I got to disinfect <laughs> it. And now I got to put it in a bag of rice. Oh, now I got to, but uh, the funny thing is now just, I love that, by the way, but I got to bring this up because this is a funny story real quick. Nothing to do with phones, but I saw a bidet for the first time when I went to Miami and I stayed at the Ritz and <laughs> I, I was like, wow, this is cool, a bidet. So I got over top of it and I reached over for the handle and I didn't realize, I just barely turned it on. I didn't realize they shoot up like that and yeah. it got me right in the face. And I was <laughs> like, this is, this is, a, I'm glad nobody had a camera or a video or something, but I couldn't believe it, man. I was like, oh my gosh, it's disgusting. But it just, just reminded water. you just it's reminded just me of that. Water. So, uh, <laughs> lastly, lastly to to to, to wrap this up, I, I, everybody comes on podcasts and shares what they know and their coaching and you know their expertise. What are you struggling with right now, if anything, or marketing. challenged by marketing? Marketing, hey, marketing. So this is another thing that I teach in my coaching is to learn the things that you're good at and the things that you're not good at. Don't worry about find somebody who is and call them a resource and let them shine. Yeah. So yeah. marketing, you can be the best X, Y, Z in the whole world. And if nobody knows it, then it doesn't matter how good you are. So when I wrote the book, I wanted to change lives. And in order to change lives, you have to read the book. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was always running for prom queen, but I really don't want to be prom queen. Right. It was like a popularity contest. And I didn't want to like boost my numbers and get and be salesy and shove it. I just, it wasn't who I was. So I really, really, really struggle with building a, a genuine connected audience that wants what I'm serving up and wants to be engaged and doing that in a non-salesy spammy way. Because in the at the end of the day, am I selling something? Yeah, I am. You can just ask me and I'll tell you and I'll tell you how much and you can decide yeah. if it's for you and which one you mm -hmm. want. 
But at the end of the day, um, what the energy I'm giving you is my time and my expertise and the energy you're giving me back is in currency and lots of different stuff in between. And I have really struggled with my value system and marketing and making those work together. Right. So a hundred percent, that is my, I'd say at this point, my single biggest struggle. And it has been for years. I didn't ask that with an ulterior motive. I just like to find out like, you know, and share with the audience, like you said, being bare naked, like just sharing because other people may be dealing with that challenge as well. And without asking or not asking, but sharing that you may not get the answer. And, you know, you never know, there might be something that I could help you with, with that. But, you know, I, I have connections with people that I've used and I've seen what works and what doesn't. And it's good to, that we have a relationship now though, where I can share some things with you and just connect you with the right people. Yeah, um, I love that. that because you know, that's how, that's how we lift each other up. You know, there's areas that I struggle with. Like I didn't know how to go to my wife when she's talking to me about a problem and say, and fix it and say, can I offer a suggestion? So you just helped <laughs> me with that. So I owe you one now. So, but no, Jen, listen, it's been great. I'm so thankful to have you on the show. You're amazing. And I appreciate you. And if there's anything I can ever do, your boy C-Rock's always here for you. Thank you so much. It was an honor. How can my audience get in touch with you and uh, engage with you further? Momof18.com has a contact. It also has a Google voice phone number and it has my email. And so basically it has every social media, whatever your preference is, you find me on that and reach out. I love it. The only reason I prefer email is because it's less likely to get in spam. You know, people message you on Facebook and it goes in some hidden folder for seven years and you didn't know it was there. Yeah. Yeah, But basically all you have to do is reach out and say hello. And that's it. That's it. Love it. Love it. Guys go support mom of 18, Jen Taylor, the naked podcaster. Let her know that you heard her here on the, what are you made of podcast? Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate you guys. Come back and see us subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or if you'd like to watch these, go to YouTube and look up Mike C-Rock, Scirocco. You can watch them on my YouTube channel. As always, we put the clips out on Instagram guys. I'm here for you whenever you need me. I'm so thankful to have you. And until next time, be good. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at MikeCRockSirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you, that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.